Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today we are talking about the movie Evil Little Things from 2020. Very current. Very current. It's the peak of special effects in (laughs) this movie. Yeah. I mean... Literally, there is no more modern effects than the effects of 2020. So surely this movie had amazing special effects. Surely. Surely. And we watched it on Amazon. What's the movie about, Sully? (laughs) We picked this movie because it was an anthology. We have not watched an anthology yet this month. I always like to. I know you do. Are they ever good? Uh, I mm, I can't remember an anthology that was good. Neither can I. But that's part of the charm and the fun. It is. It is. So this particular anthology surprisingly only had two parts to it. Which yeah. almost makes me question the tag of anthology. I had that very same thought. But it was, uh, it was basically the story of a little boy who needs to get a toy of some kind to keep with him at night to protect him from the monsters under his bed. Yeah. Um, that's the wraparound story. Yes. So there was a wraparound story and then two story stories. Right. Is a wraparound important? Is it important to have the thread that ties all the anthology bits together? Or no? I would not say that it's important. I would say, I mean, the whole idea of an anthology... It's just something fun and silly. Like, there's no need for anthologies. They're stupid and pointless. But they're fun. You're just having some fun. And a wraparound is another layer of fun wrapped around the rest, much like a flour tortilla. Oh, yum. See, you're starting to like them now. I am. Um, So in this specific case, was the thread that tied these two stories together fun? Was it necessary? Was it an integral part of the movie? I mean, since we only got two stories, I feel like you kind of needed it just to have enough content of something. Because, like, two unrelated stories... The the through thread here in a movie called Evil Little Things was dolls. Right. Scary dolls. And so both of the stories had that, but that's all they had in common. They were just... Two random weird stories about little dolls, and then the wraparound story, which was also about a doll. So I guess I guess it was necessary in a quantitative sense. Right. And in fact, it almost, as you were saying that, I realized it's almost like this was an anthology of three stories, but one yeah. of the stories was hacked into pieces. Horrific. A horrific. And, and you know, the other sort of stories were inserted into it. <laughs> It's getting worse and worse every moment. That didn't come out the way I planned. (laughs) So the Ice Truck Killer created an anthology for us to enjoy. 
Yeah. So as far as anthology or as far as those tie it together threads go, I feel like this did a better job than many that we've seen. But I think it was in the sense that it was its own story rather than a, yeah. a thread tying the other stories together. It, yeah, it was. It worked as a story, but then the way it introduced each of the stories was insanity itself. Oh the, my gosh. The toy maker, he, the kid goes to the toy store, he wants to get a new toy. He checks out each different toy, and the toy, two different toys. <laughs> right, and each. The, <laughs> and the toy maker is like, Oh, that one story is here. And in both cases, he's like, that story goes back to the 1800s. And then we see some footage from 2018. Yeah. The first one was a leprechaun doll. Yeah. That supposedly came from Georgia, which had a gold rush even before the California gold rush. Like, there was this whole, like, little mini history lesson in the introduction True or not, I don't know. And then we immediately jumped to a story that clearly took place in very modern times. Yeah, and never can I... I mean, I guess the doll had come from the gold rush, but there was no reason for us to know that. Well, there kind of was because the great... Like, the house that it was all taking taking place in belonged... Had been in this woman's family for a very long time. and And it was originally bought by her great... No, her grandmother, I don't know, so somebody. somebody. But it wasn't far enough back because she told her daughter it was her daughter's great-grandmother. And I'm like, okay, but that makes it your grandma. <laughs> and that means yeah. it wasn't pre-Gold Rush days. Like, you I'm pretty would, sure I'm pretty sure your grandma wasn't around 50 years before the Gold Rush. Maybe. I don't know. I meant to look up when the Gold Rush happened and didn't. So that's the kind of top-notch, researched, nuanced information you're getting from this podcast right our intro specifically declares that we know nothing about anything and that's part of our charm we fully intend to rant at length about things we know nothing about yeah and i do have some rants in here so Um, uh what what give me a rant about our leprechaun story so the leprechaun story this house i think it was the house was previously known as irish mountain right right Because that makes perfect sense for the name of a house. And the whole story kind of revolved around racism against Irish people, basically. Uh, Very much so. Except at one point, the mom became Irish for 30 seconds. Which I feel like was still a little bit... (laughs) I was still delving into the racism against (laughs) Irish people thing because... She was mocking them. Yeah. And the whole idea of leprechauns, like, I think there's a disconnect between the traditional, like, Halloween leprechaun idea, you know, like, the thing we make fun of and the leprechauns that show up in scary movies. There's a disconnect between that and, like, the actual cultural connection, like, the idea of actual Irish leprechauns. I mean, where is the line between culture and racism in this case? There's definitely a line somewhere. I don't think I can unpack the idea of leprechauns in terms of racism. That's that's complicated. But there was also this whole undercurrent of, you Irish people lived here. <laughs> it felt like. Maybe they weren't really saying that. They were just scared of this evil leprechaun. But 
there was something about the locals called this Irish mountain and didn't want to come around. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. I mean, I do think there was some element of people were being murdered there. And that's why they didn't want to go around. They assume because they're like, well, Irish people, they're going to kill us. Yeah. It was it was problematic. And the whole like anytime there's a culture where we connect the idea of greed. Right. That's not good. It's it's problematic, especially when we're talking about cultures where poverty and suffering related to poverty has such a prevalent place in their history. Like I I don't know that we should be judging that. (laughs) Yes. It, It was definitely uncomfortable. They're small, they're greedy. And they are mean. And they'll murder you for a coin. (laughs) For a coin. Yeah, so that's not great. In other not great news, this story was glacially paced. (laughs) Which is weird because it wasn't wasn't like your typical slow movie. Like lots of things happened kind of rapidly. But they were so uninteresting and handled so... I don't know, clumsily. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'm so disinterested in everything that's happening here. A good example of how slowly things were moving is there was a shot. Apparently the mom is a writer. Oh, yeah. And I guess she writes horror stories because her friend made some comment about that. And there was a shot where we were supposed to see how, you know, the kids had gone to school. Mom was working. So <laughs> she's at her computer and she's typing. And the shot lasted long enough for me to be able to read the paragraph (laughs) that was on the screen and make the note, Mom is a terrible writer. Yeah, which she, which I also knew without being able to read it, didn't have my glasses on, because at one point she read out part of her writing and it was not good. No, she was happy about it though. She was like, "Oh yeah, that's the one." Yeah, and and my brain immediately clicked into, "Oh no, too much passive phrasing." What? (laughs) Don't say it like that. That's telling, not or that's uh, yeah, telling, not showing. Like, no, 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 don't do that. To be fair though, maybe it was her first draft. In that case, write it as garbagey as you want. Fix it in post. Uh, is that what happened with this movie? They just wrote it as garbagey as they want. And they're like, time's up. Let's get going. <laughs> Maybe. It's not as bad as American Poltergeist was in terms of writing. Yeah, that's true. But that also means it was not as fun as American Poltergeist. True. But there true. were a lot of very ridiculous interactions with a leprechaun doll. Yeah. Speaking of ridiculous interactions, they have dinner together Two adults and the two children, one of which is like six or something. He's a little guy. Maybe he's eight. He's maybe eight, maybe even ten. The girl was a teenager. Yeah, she was 12 or 13. Between the four of them, they ate two extra large pizzas. (laughs) We didn't see it happen, but we saw the empty and, as you were very concerned about, greaseless boxes. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) The reason we didn't see it happen is there was never any pizza (laughs) in those boxes. Yeah. That was... That was some very poor prop work. Of them not really putting in the thought to this movie. And the thing is, like, the whole reason I know that is because in in acting the cleaning up after dinner scene, she, like, opened one of the boxes, Uh which was a good idea because... That's what I would do, too. Like, what's left? What do I need to put in the fridge? Ain't nothing left. Those piggy little kids. If you know that prop box is completely empty and has never had pizza in it, (laughs) open it away from the camera. Sure. I wouldn't have known. It would have been great. 
Yes, that would that important. would have fixed this movie for sure. I blame that on the director. Okay, we okay. can do that. Can we talk about the magical fire putting out powers of lighter fluid <laughs> in this movie? It didn't put out all the fire because the husband came in and smacked two pieces of fire with his hand and got rid of those. But as the the fire was threatening to consume <laughs> the room. Yeah. You know, and, and, and leap from the fireplace. She threw a bottle of lighter fluid at it <laughs> she, to put the fire out. She did. I, I don't think that was her intent, but it. she was trying to knock the leprechaun down the hole, which worked. It did happen. Okay. But, so she just didn't think about the fact that she was throwing a bottle full of lighter fluid into a fire? I guess. I had this thought momentarily, maybe true, maybe not, that... The premise of that scene was actually that the lighter fluid went in there and there was a big ball of fire as a result, as one would expect. And that's why there were two little puffs of fire that the dad had to smack (laughs) down with his hand. And like that was as close as they got with the effects. Because everybody knows that after there's a massive explosion Mm -hmm. fueled by lighter fluid... Then the fire immediately burns itself out and doesn't affect anything in the room. It's the blast... You know, a blast can sure. kill a fire. Sure. That makes sense. That's reality. Okay. I'll watch Mythbusters. <laughs> One of my other notes was also fireplace related. She was hearing Irish jigs coming from the fireplace. Yes. Which was concerning to her, rightfully so. I never understood if she was actually hearing it or if it was that was just what we were getting and she was just concerned. No, I think she was actually hearing it. Like, she was concerned about what was going on in there. I would be way more concerned so, if that was happening. Right. Well, she was so concerned that she got a rag and some Windex yeah. to clean the fireplace. <laughs> I, I oh. feel like this woman had a fundamental issue with understanding what liquids, what specific liquids are used <laughs> for. I mean, maybe that, again director or the prop work mm. once again bad maybe, props yeah maybe this is the an issue with the prop maybe person. it wasn't that she was supposed to throw lighter fluid in there that was just all that was around and they were like uh could we use a brick or something there was supposed to be like a bucket of water <laughs> yeah and the prop person was like well this is close it's a liquid <laughs> it's a liquid inside plastic we're good <laughs> this windex is a liquid that probably cleans bricks oh, right cleans up coal like I mean, then she did get a shovel and was, like, scraping yes. up the let's coals. discuss that she was scooping up coals <laughs> with a shovel for 27 minutes of this movie. <laughs> she would just scoop a little, bu- uh, you know, four or five coals into the shovel, dump it in a well, bucket. four or five charcoal briquettes. Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what happens when you burn a log in a <laughs> fireplace is it turns into briquettes. charcoal. <laughs> yeah. And she scooped up four or five more. Put them in the bucket. Yeah. And that went on for three and a half hours. Approximately. That was the pacing of this yeah. movie. Yeah. I made a note that the storytelling of this was a very weird combination of exposition yeah. and vagueness. Like, like the there were things the where end. they would give way too much information or it would explain yeah. things that need, didn't need to be explained. But then other things where they're like, you know... That thing that happened that time. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to give us any actual information, why are you even saying this? <laughs> and then at the end, her friend, the sheriff, is sitting in her car. Yes. I forget if it was uh, like reading on her phone, I guess, or a book. She, I don't well, remember. She had like a, I don't know, like a 
like an iPad. She's reading information about the leprechaun and she starts reading it out loud so that we can hear about it. And she's just going on and on and on. It was, and and the way she said it even, like it wasn't even like she was reading it to herself. Yeah. She was reading it to the camera. <laughs> it was a moment of breaking the fourth wall where I'm like, wait, can she see me? <laughs> That's the terror of this movie. <laughs> Why is she explaining this to me? Yeah. And I don't think she explained anything that wasn't already commonly held understandings or, or you know, commonly held stereotypical information about leprechauns. Well, it was new to them. I in, guess. in this story, it was new. And then at the end, the dad comes home with presents for the kids. Yes. Which are the same leprechaun doll for each kid. Yes, this is after the leprechaun doll that's been around since before the California gold rush. <laughs> yes, back in the Georgia gold rush. Right. It has fallen down the hole that's in hidden in the fireplace that now doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, the hole went away. Like, just vanished. It's not like there was the explosion, and it's not like it collapsed and no, there's rubble. No. It was just that hole it's never gone. existed. The it was lid hard is to on open it. that hole, by the way. Yes. The lid is still there, but when you open it after extreme exertion, <laughs> there is nothing underneath. Nothing. Um, so after this evil little thing uh, no. disappears, Dad comes with two of exactly the same. Yeah. Because the one thing you know as a parent is that if you have a nine-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl, they want exactly the same present when oh. you come back from your trip to Ireland. And they want it to be a horrible little leprechaun doll for yes. sure. Yes. Not, but... Wait, a horrible, huge leprechaun doll, like three <laughs> feet tall. Yes. That was a big... Ugly doll. It was ugly. It it was one of the dolls where you would look at it, you'd be like, oh, that thing is definitely possessed. Which works for the movie. It does. Okay, so having thoroughly dissected the first part of the movie, we jump back to the middle where they're at the toy store, and the mom is like not so sure she wants this leprechaun doll to come home with her, understandably. Yeah. So... The doll maker shows her this old, not porcelain, because it's from before porcelain yes. existed. Older than porcelain, and it's from the 1800s. Patty is very old. Very old indeed. She goes back all the way to the 1800s. Oh. Is she porcelain? Porcelain? No. She's much older than that. Both of those things were true about this doll. And he never did explain what it was made of if it wasn't porcelain. The like, thing they had before porcelain. Pre-porcelain. Bone? I Maybe. mean, it looked an awful lot to my not-so-discerning eye like a porcelain doll. <laughs> yeah, you got you're not a professional toy maker, so, you know. So, yeah. So, so this from-before-porcelain doll... That's all cracked and broken, and again, you immediately look at it and like, the devil lives inside that doll. Yeah, it was all twisted and cracked up. Yeah. And then we jump back to the story of this doll, where we promptly see what must be the first iPhone ever, because obviously (laughs) 1800s. But yes, just to be clear, it was not set back then, even though that's what they said. It was set... In the present. Yeah. So then we have Patty, the possessed oh, porcelain doll. Her voice. Not yeah. porcelain doll. 
Yeah, so Patty talks to her owner, Abby, Mm -hmm. in this terrible voice that sounds like a recording. Like, she's a Teddy Ruxpin, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. I am the only one who stayed by your side after the fire. Everyone else abandoned us. We only have each other. And with that, like, didn't Teddy Ruxpin also have sort of like a childish, like sort of lispy sort of voice, too? There was something about it. But Patty definitely had like a, she had an evil lisp. (laughs) Definitely. Again, not an appropriate way to think of people. No. Just like the first story. Oh, yeah. This story was problematic about the whole like disabilities, injuries, anything that makes you not traditionally beautiful. It started with the classic thing. It's the equivalent of take off her glasses and pull her hair down. This girl with a single scar on her body. This this it's it's a big scar. Mm-hmm. It's a long line going down the side of her face, but it's just literally one line. It's maybe mm-hmm. seven or eight inches long. It's very big. Imagine if someone had glued a Twizzler to the side of your face. Don't just imagine it. Watch this movie and see it. <laughs> it that's what it looked like. Like it wasn't quite that red. No. But it was just like a seam down the side of her face. Yeah. And apparently this made her an outcast from society. Totally no interaction with anyone but dolls. Hideous. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I understand how if that were your reality, you would be self-conscious. Yeah, that would be apparent. Apparently, and here's the real issue I had with it. Apparently she got this injury from a fire. Because everybody knows that burn scars are single lines down (laughs) your cheek with nothing. Yes, with nothing impacting any other part of your body at all. Well, she did have many, many surgeries, apparently, which didn't change her appearance in any way because this guy still knew exactly who she was when she was in full Goldilocks makeup. Yes. I understand how she would feel self-conscious about it. Like, it was definitely a very visible scar. But also, everybody else, like her aunt, who was only on the phone. I mean, I guess everybody else in this case is her aunt and Patty, the possessed doll. So, And the guy who liked her. Okay, but uh, he doesn't fit. Because what I was going to say is everybody else seems to, like, is acting like this... This yeah. scar has disfigured her well, to the point of being intolerable to look at. I mean, Patty is definitely messing with her. Patty yes. is abusing this situation. Yes. It's an abusive relationship with Patty. Very much so. And the aunt, well, she didn't seem great. No, I feel like that was kind of abusive too. But also, like, she was like, what, you're 30? Like, your ovaries are shriveling inside you. I, it was weird. It's a real Lucille Bluth. <laughs> Yes, but the the guy who liked her, who's, who met her at this doll convention, or met up with her again at this doll convention, yeah. he was definitely not like that. Like, he adored her, thought she was wonderful, uh-huh. was he very was much totally in love with her, fine. thought she was beautiful, like, didn't try to pretend her scar didn't exist or, you know, tell her, like, oh, you can barely see it or anything. It was just like, you're just beautiful exactly the way you are, which was awesome. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. So he had to die. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> And that is a sequence of events that makes no sense in which Patty, (laughs) Patty was angry that this girl had gone out with the guy Mm -hmm. 
and she was jealous. Insisted that she had been fornicating. She wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just uh, Patty has some issues. So the note that I made there, maybe to help explain what I think what you're trying to say, the note that I made was. It's extra weird when Patty starts in with the Bible talk. Yeah. She, she got very Puritan all of a sudden. Well, I mean, she's from before there was porcelain. So she's <laughs> been around. True. And she's old fashioned. So anyway, she starts stabbing a doll in the guts, which makes Abby bleed from the guts mm-hmm. because there's some connection between Abby mm-hmm. and the dolls. And there's something where Patty has been smashing the doll faces. So maybe she's been making these scars. Maybe there never was a fire. I don't know, maybe there was a fire, and then Patty started smashing dolls and continuing the problem, and she needed more surgeries. It's unclear. And then, somehow, this all results in Abby being turned into a human doll, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. Abby murders the boy. And then, at the very end, they are both oh, doll dolls. Yeah, like normal, they're normal dolls, dolls that look like these two characters looked when they were human like but not creepy like they just looked yeah, like just dolls good dolls so that's what happened in this movie it was yeah it was very strange uh but the strangest moment of this section and i'm gonna say the strangest moment of the whole thing in its entirety was when the ballerina box started to play like patty somehow magically made the ballerina box start to play and then all of the dolls with the smashed faces floated up into the air yeah. and, like, they sp- spun around. They spun in a circle. Like there was some sort of possessed doll ball happening in the air. Yeah. And then Abby woke up and all the dolls fell to the ground. I mean, we're not following the intricacies, is the thing. Because there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of metaphor and simile and other words are you suggesting that this is a case of us not being smart enough to understand the movie (laughs) because i feel differently yeah i could see why you would (laughs) i mean i think it might be fun to do like an like that kind of an analysis of this section in particular of this movie because there's plenty to work with but i'm not at all convinced that any of the nuance that one might insert into this movie (laughs) existed to begin with. Yeah, I just, I don't even know. Like, the fact that both of these stories came from some book of stories it mentions Mm -hmm. in the credits, I'm really kind of curious what that story looked like, because it doesn't make any sense. It's just random nonsense related to dolls, I think was the title. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I I really don't like the whole, like, connection. I can stab this doll and it puts a stab wound in Abby the human thing because that wasn't established at all prior to it. No, there was something... It was the fact that Patty was damaging all of Abby's dolls could... Like, you could retroactively go back and say that, but the explanation that it gave beforehand was that these dolls... Abby would get these dolls and Patty was afraid that Abby would love them more than her. So she ruined them. And she kept saying, and I wanted to fix you and make you look good, but you wouldn't let me. No. Well, and I feel like that has something to do with the fact that Patty, the doll, is straight up a devil worshipping, like... Right, we forgot that part. Like, she was able to actually do some kind of... Ritual. Devil worshipping ritual. Yeah, she had a book. She used a book to 
fulfill her ritual, which is what ended up turning Abby and the boy into little dolls. Or maybe that was when she turned Abby into the big doll. Multiple rituals were involved. Uh, Yeah. And she was quite skilled at it, I think. Yeah. I mean, she definitely accomplished what she was trying to accomplish. Yeah, there was a great shot where Abby's head turned around 360, except really her body turned around 360 and her head remained perfectly still. (laughs) And again... Some high-quality special effects happening there. Yes, top of the line. Top of the line 2020 special effects. Okay, so then we end up with the conclusion to the by, you know, the through story. Yeah. Which is the child finally finally decides to bring home a clown because, obviously, clowns are the safest option. Here's the thing. The mom saw the movie Poltergeist and was afraid of clown dolls, like many kids her age were when they saw Poltergeist back then. And the toy maker understood this. He was like, oh, Poltergeist. That movie almost killed the clown doll business. Yeah. It was upsetting. I mean, it's probably a good thing that he hasn't seen it. <laughs> well, but at least it's not a clown doll. So so they decide on this this very safe looking clown doll and i say that because it did not look safe at all it was definitely a creepy clown i mean this guy only dealt in creepy toys right as he said everything has a story all right dude so they bring the clown doll home and the abusive father who we have not mentioned yet right so the kid needed a doll to protect him at night because when his dad came in to check on him, he's always like, shut up. I don't want to hear your nonsense. I'm, I don't want to look for monsters for you. Get a stuffed animal. You're six whole years old. You shouldn't <laughs> be afraid of the dark. Yeah. So it was one of those kind of things. Yeah. So dad comes in at the end. He's going to, he's taking his belt off. He's going to show this kid. Yeah. That was not that The dark has nothing to be scared of in it with his belt. <laughs> And uh, the kid tells him to look under the bed where the clown doll went, and the clown doll eats him. Yeah, that was actually my favorite part of the entire movie. That was like, they did something. Yeah. They actually put two ideas together and made something happen at the end of the movie. I mean, my very first note was, I hope Jason, Jason was the kid. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, I really hope that Jason, there's something more to him than just being a little six-year-old. I hope Jason is a monster who eats this jerk we'll say i said jerk we'll say and then at the end my note was giggles is my hero yeah giggles the clown so you know it definitely did go from there was a goal that i had at the beginning and that goal was met by the end of the movie yeah so that i I appreciate i I wrote good ending exclamation mark Mm -hmm. then i followed that up with two important big questions that i need to ask you okay Okay, the first question to preface this, the kid was in bed and, you know, the parents were out watching TV and they heard him yell, Dad, and wanted Dad to come in and check on him. And Dad was mad. And that's when he came in with the belt swinging around. Got eaten. Which was interesting because previously the kid only would call for his mom and, like, mm-hmm. didn't want his dad. So it was like he definitely planned to get Giggles to eat this guy. Like, that mm-hmm. was a big deal. It was very clear when he was like, uh, he's under the bed. <laughs> yeah, go look down there. Look there. Then, after that whole scene that transpires and dad's been eaten, the kid then goes, Mom? And my question to you is, is he now just freaked out because his dad was eaten or does he want his mom to be killed too 
Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think he wanted his mom to be killed. Like, I got the sense that they had a pretty good relationship. That's what I thought. And I think, like, my take on it was he called the dad in to get him eaten by the clown. And now he wants the glass of water. And he wants his mom to check and make sure there's no monsters in his there room. There is a monster under the <laughs> I bed. mean, no other monsters. So, I mean, I feel like it was more like, well, now that that's taken care of, I can move on to more pressing matters. Okay. That's, okay. that's acceptable. Here's your next question. Yes. I really thought about this after the movie. I'm getting comfortable for this question. <laughs> this is serious. When people are making a movie like this. Uh, like an anthology? No, a movie like this. Oh, Just say okay. these people. Okay. The these people who people. made this movie. Okay. They're done with the movie. They're looking at it in the editing bay and they're like, yeah, okay. They get to the end and they're like, I mean, I don't know what their response was, whether they were like, good enough or this is amazing or whatever. Do they think that they've made something funny or something scary? Like, what what is it that they think has happened? I'm going to say that these people making this movie thought they were making a scary movie. None of the funniness felt intentional to me. No, it, it, didn't, it didn't try to be funny. So I think that they were trying to make a scary movie. And I think that if anything, they were like, well, this is the scariest movie we could make. This is, this we, is what we, we could do. This is what we were trying to do. I mean, to the extent that they didn't go, oh, we can't ever show this to anyone. <laughs> Clearly you know? they decided to share it. Right. So whatever they were going for, they they accomplished it closely enough that they were willing to present it to the world. And I believe that they were going for scary. So what's wrong with these people? I I think that there are a lot of people in the world who don't have a lot of self-awareness who just don't see the things that they've done through a reality filter, maybe? That, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, think of all the, like, the the things, the, the experiments that people have done and, like, the things we've learned about how people think and, like, the Dunning-Kruger effect and the, oh, there's another one. Mm. There's all these ways that we've shown that what people think is going on in their heads and what people think about themselves is not yeah. true. So then, Or at the very least, is not what other people are thinking. Yeah. So, like, they made it, and they they can see that it's not very scary, but they're like, but this is going to work. This is, our audience will eat this up. This is some solid work. I feel like maybe they're, okay, this one's a reach. Mm -hmm. Okay? I have no idea what was going on in their heads. I wish you would. But from my own personal experience... Sometimes when I'm writing something that I am trying to make scary or I'm trying to make very emotionally impactful, I have to go over it so many times that it reaches a point where I can't tell anymore how someone else will feel when they read it because yeah. I've looked at it so many times that I'm desensitized to it. And so then I make changes and I'm like, I don't know what that change did because I don't feel anything now. I don't know if that should have been lighter fluid or a brick. Right? Yeah. Should I use Windex on this edit? I don't know. Um, yeah, so it's possible. possible that they that they were so immersed in the making of this movie. Because I think crappy movie or not, you get immersed in it, right? I think they were perhaps so immersed in the making of this movie that 
when they got to the end of it, even if they had the thought, this doesn't feel as scary as what I was hoping, they maybe rationalized it with the idea that they, you know, well, because I know and I had such a hand in making it sure. and we've looked at it so many times, like other people will feel differently. And mm. yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at that yeah. sort of feeling that they thought it was going to work, even though yeah. it didn't work for them personally. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely <sighs> think that that was going on there. And I think in, again, in my experience, like when I've edited something to the point of it no longer being emotionally impactful to me, it's not that I am immune to it. I've broken it probably. Like I think, and maybe I'm just having this moment of self-awareness now because I'm blaming, <laughs> like I'm accusing them of having this happen to them. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's also what happens to me. That's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah. Think about this movie a lot. <laughs> just run it through your head. Constantly. Ratings. If you're not going to do an anthology really well. Oh, and I had a thought of an anthology that we watched last year that was not great, but it was not as oh, terrible as most have been. I just thought of something, too. Last year, we watched Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Which was not an anthology. You're super wrong about that. And, and I thought... We discussed that in our podcast. <laughs> and I thought that one was pretty good. It was okay? okay. Yeah, it was um, not a bad movie. Right. But if you're going to make an anthology, you either have to make it good, like it has to be good, or you have to make it so bad that it's entertaining and funny to watch. Yeah, that's usually where they kind of go. It, yes. Like, the reason I continue to watch anthologies is because I assume that I'm going to be entertained by how terrible they are. They're very rarely anything good. And I want to bring up the one that I just thought of. Oh, yeah? Um, Holidays, which was <sighs> not great. It had some interesting, decent ones, but the last story in it I loved. It was the one where yeah. the girl was listening to a tape her dead dad had left her or yep. something. It yep. was really good. That one that one within itself was hit or miss, but had some yeah. very good ones. And the the problem with evil little things is that it didn't quite make entertainingly bad. It was close. It was mm -hmm. right on the line. But I think they spent too much time on each story. Had yes, they, they did had they perhaps taken more stories and told more them more quickly, it would have been like, I would have been like, haha, this was done terribly. This is a hilarious movie. But as it is, it was done terribly. And then I had to just keep watching it. Yeah, they dragged it out. I was so bored by the end of both of these. And that is an unforgivable sin in anthology making, if you ask me. Which, when you combine that with the very mediocre acting and the not as bad as we've seen, but pretty close writing, editing, all of that, yeah. I am going to give this anthology one yellow eyebrow out of five. Yeah. Not even the eyebrow, just the skin under the eyebrow. <laughs> yes. One painted yellow eyebrow out of five. How about yeah. you? Well, I think you've got it correct. Um, I actually noticed in that first story about the leprechaun, I had a note about how the either the acting or the writing 
was so bad that there was like tension to the way the characters were interacting that shouldn't have been there like it uh-huh. seemed like they were on edge with each other in a way that they weren't supposed to be like when the two friends like the mom and her friend yeah. who lived in town yeah i kept wondering like what's the weird thing in your background <laughs> that you guys aren't mentioning no there was nothing no they were just i mean they did see a leprechaun when they were kids but whatever so it was bad and it was boring the second story was better than the first, but there were only two stories. Mm-hmm. That's an unacceptable anthology move right mm-hmm. there. And then the wrap-up at the end, I really approved of, not in that it was good, but that in that it was so much better than what had happened before. It was They actually had done something mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. So hooray for that. So much better than that one. Remember the one in the hospital? It was like 13 yeah. patients or something like that. and. And the through story, like, was almost non-existent. Yeah, it was just, like, asking... Oh, it it didn't make any sense. It was like, you were there when this crime happened, and this (laughs) one... there's no way. That didn't happen. (laughs) All that said, we're just ending up in the same place, though. It's one other yellow eyebrow out of five. Well, at least we leave this poor fireburn victim with both of her eyebrows. Very, very narrow fireburn victim. All right, well, we'll be back tomorrow with something else. It's been great. This is definitely going to be our weirdest podcast ever. No, it's going to be fine. Um, I feel like like we're just a roller coaster of extremes here at House Hommel. Things are going crazy today.